Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer. I'm Sinead O'Carroll and each week on this podcast we delve a little deeper into a news story. Today, why has there been an over 200% rise in measles cases in Ireland? Here to help us answer that question is the Journal.ie's Orla Ryan, who has been leading our reporting on this, Dr. Kira Kelly from News Talk, who has also been raising awareness of the importance of the MMR vaccine in the face of a growing anti-vaccination movement in Ireland, and Doctor of Physics and Cancer Researcher David Robert Grimes. You're all very welcome. Orla that 200% is a huge number. Why have we seen this happen in Ireland? Yeah, there was a huge increase last year. There were 25 cases in 2017 and 77 in 2018. And the HSC has said the single biggest risk in terms of getting measles is people not being vaccinated. And the majority of cases last year, about 7 in 10, did involve people who weren't vaccinated. There were a number of outbreaks last year and there have been two to date in 2019 in North Dublin and in Donegal. So that's two already. What age are the people getting it? Are they kids or I don't know, are the adults probably? It's across every age group. There have been children and adults affected, but it is primarily younger children. So to date in 2019, there have been 25 reported cases and of that 19 relate to children under four. And last year as well, it was the children under four who were most affected. 19 of the 77 reported cases involved children under four. And now we're only in March. We're only in March. So there's already been that same number for under fours. Adults are also getting it and teenagers, but primarily the, it is young younger children and of those cases about seven and ten of those involve people who haven't been vaccinated. So these are parents who haven't vaccinated their kids and then their kids get measles within four years. Yes and then because it's so contagious obviously if the child goes to crash or school or is in a hospital setting or somewhere where they're around a lot of people it suddenly spreads and then you have five six seven people have the condition. Orla parents instincts are to protect their kids at all costs. How are we in a situation where vaccines which we know to be safe and we know are a good thing for society have been questioned in this way. Yes, many of the parents who don't vaccinate their children do so out of genuine concerns. They might have seen posts being shared online or heard people having conversations where they say the MMR vaccine causes autism. But what they may not realise is that this claim can be traced back to a 1998 study by Andrew Wakefield that has since been completely debunked. He's been struck off the medical register and the Lancet Journal, which originally published the study, has said it's entirely false and should have never been published. But this claim keeps rearing its head again and again and again and posts often don't even share where the original claim was made they just say research has shown that the MMR vaccine causes autism which we now know is absolutely not true. Yeah Kira, is this confusion understandable? To be very clear measles is a serious childhood illness it's not the common cold um, children do become very unwell with it and up to two in every thousand children who develop measles will die from it so that's not nothing and in many ways I think the MMR has been a victim of its own success that people, because they didn't see measles anymore around the place, they forgot how significant it was. What actually happens to your body if you have measles? Well, you become unwell with a virus. You get a a nasty rash all over the body. You get kind of usually a florid conjunctivitis where you get kind of swollen red eyes. You get a high fever. You might develop a pneumonia or an ear infection on top of that. And a lot of the deaths would be caused by by quite significant pneumonias um, among, among the people who have it. But there are other issues too. People, as I say, can die from it. People can have febrile convulsions from it. People can get uh, down the line neurological conditions, encephalitis, brain damage. It's it's a major illness and we kind of have forgotten it. And so when I see particularly things like people saying, as you do see online, oh, it's healthier to get it than to get vaccinated or that it's, you know, people who are unvaccinated are healthier than vaccinated. It does infuriate me because it couldn't be further from the truth. If you could protect your children and you can protect your children from this serious 
vaccine preventable disease, you should do that. Vaccines, in my view, are one of vaccines and sanitation are probably the two biggest thrusts of public health advances that we have made as a species. And we're, we're playing with fire here. And, and, and the anti-vax movement has spread like wildfire on things like social media. And that is the reason that the World Health Organization has come out very recently and said that it is one of the single biggest threats to global health. Yeah, because Orla, it, this isn't an Irish phenomenon, like you said there. It's a, it's a world thing. So we're, are we seeing spikes everywhere across the world? Pretty much, yeah. Um, there was a report by UNICEF recently that compiled um, World Health Organization data. And there were 98 countries around the world last year that saw spikes. There were 136,000 deaths last year globally because of measles. That's a huge number. David, so Orla's figure there, seven out of 10 people who get it are unvaccinated, but that means three people who are vaccinated get it. How Explain that to me. This this goes down to the fact that nothing that we have in medicine is going to be 100%. Uh, when you get a vaccination, you're trying to train your immune system to recognise a particular antigen. Uh, if you imagine it, the kind of analogy is your immune system's a bouncer and you're going in with a picture of the guy who's not allowed in the club and saying it's this guy. Not all, It won't always remember the picture. But the fact that seven, if, if we have seven and unvaccinated, the figures, I want to just go back to one of them because it's kind of interesting. We're talking about the amount of cases this year, um, but we've seen spikes absolutely everywhere. And one of the reasons for that, which has already been alluded to, is that measles has a thing called an or naught of 12 to 18. And what an or naught is, is for one base case, how many secondary cases will you get? So for a single infected person, you're looking at 12 to 18 secondary infections. So this spreads like exponentially, incredibly exponentially, super exponentially, really. And the problem with that then is that you can get, uh, there was one out, Swansea in Wales had an outbreak in 2013 that affected over a thousand people and had one death. So the problem is even small communities where you don't have enough herd immunity. So herd immunity is the amount of vaccination you need to create a firewall. You need a certain amount of people vaccinated to kind of, keep it in check and protect people that can't be vaccinated. So very young children or immunocompromised adults. Um, That needs to be really high because measles in particular is so virulent. It needs to be like 94%. And we are really, really struggling at at keeping those kind of levels. And there's a lot of reasons for that, which we'll probably get into in a little while. What's our level? It's actually been quite stable in the last few years. For the second quarter of 2018, it was at about 92%. And the HSC said this is good, but not good enough. And their goal is 95%, um, as David mentioned, for those reasons for herd immunology. Kira, you probably have seen in your GP clinic parents who come in and who are genuinely worried, because I think we will talk about the anti-vaccine movement and a lot of it is nefarious. But there are parents who just hear this, they'll pick it up. It, you know, years ago, it might have been through research or, or bad news stories. Now it's through Facebook. And there is genuine concern. Yeah. So how do you talk to them? What do you tell I, I them? I think within the, the people that, that don't vaccinate, there are a, a bunch of people who are maybe ideologically opposed to vaccines. And they, I would call them kind of anti-vaxxers and they don't believe that it's a good idea. And they're very, very anti it. The only people I speak to about this are those that they might convert. So the people who are kind of maybe a little bit vulnerable to that misinformation and maybe a little bit concerned themselves, but who are actually not hardcore in their views. And I think that's who we should talk to. And indeed, other people as well who, to, to confirm that, yes, it is right to vaccinate. Um, the situation that we have is, is we, we are we are below currently. We are below the, the, the 95. We've been lower than this, though, before in the post 2000 Andrew Wakefield era. We, we dipped down into the 70s. But you asked me, have I seen it? Yeah, I was a GP, first newly qualified in the year 2000, working in North Strand in the north inner city of Dublin. We had a measles outbreak in north inner city Dublin in the year 2000 in, in the fallout from Andrew Wakefield. 
three children in, in Dublin died that year from measles who should be alive today. And that is because people had stopped vaccinating. So, so children that was, as David said, either too young to vaccinate or were not able to be vaccinated for other reasons. Parents weren't vaccinating and children are dead as a result of that. And, and those are children that should be alive. They should be in their 20s now. They should be going to college. They should be doing things. They should be living their lives. And does it make me angry? Yes, it does, because there are things we can't save people from. You know, people come to us all the time in medicine with cancers or things that you will sadly, you know, do your best for, but you won't be able to save them. And, and, and that is the reality of it. This is not that. This is people who we can prevent dying who are still dying. And that's a real issue. Yeah. David, can we actually look at the spikes in anti-vaccination movements, which we're having right now, and spikes in measles? I think that's a really good question. And we need to unpack those figures that we've we've talked about a little bit today. So the figure, I think, is 92 for, for now. Mm-hmm. But we need to remember two things with that figure. Firstly, that's current it doesn't count back for the past when people under-vaccinated or the panics. And it's, if you don't get vaccinated a particular year, it doesn't mean that's the year you get measles. It could be 20 years down the line you get measles. So we have parents uh, who, who, whose kids were toddlers during the, the, the original MMR uh, confidence crisis who opted not to get their parents vaccinated. And as Kira says, I agree entirely. I don't, I get if you go on my Twitter feed, you'll get plenty of you know, aggressive anti-vaxxers who I know and the research tells us are not going to change their mind. The ill effect they have is that they, 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 they scare parents and parents believe it's a choice between maybe I'll get my kid vaccinated and maybe they'll get this, this side effect. They don't actually put the real choice. Firstly, the side effect is non-existent, but really maybe I'll get my kid vaccinated or maybe they'll die of a preventable disease vaccines have been a huge victim of our own success. We don't see people walking around with smallpox scars or people in iron lungs because they had polio or in wheelchairs or anything like that. And, and, and that's because they've been such a boon to public health. So when you look at the figures and the correlates, they're a bit hard to do because you have to do them historically. So we can look at the figure now, but you also look around the country and you see massively different uptake rates. North Cork for parts of this decade has, has had around a 21% uptake rate. 21? Yeah, it's shocking. West Cork is particularly bad too. In fact, we've had, in 2010, we had, I think, 400 people affected in West Cork because West Cork, you know, is kind of an anti-vaccine kind of hub. It's kind of the the, the kind of the hippie-ish kind of area. Unfortunately, it's a very middle-class thing to not vaccinate your kids, but uh, because people think they know more than the medical profession and the scientific profession. And I understand there's a distrust of authority and a holistic idea that you don't need anything else, but these are things that save lives. So and uh, going does, on a tangent there, sorry. Yeah, does that impact the greater population though? So say if there is Absolutely. too many people in one area who have this belief system, Absolutely. can they impact all the other people who want vaccination? Well, you, vaccinated you've already you've already alluded to the fact that like maybe in the, in the cases now, se- uh, three out of 10 people actually had been previously vaccinated. So obviously vaccination isn't perfect. So what you need is you need this to be a, a social contract that everyone does this, not to protect just themselves, but other people as well. It's down to the simple laws of contagion. If you if you were to take, supposing you took somebody who lived in West Cork, but we're not victimising West Cork, <laughs> but somebody was there, but supposing they went uh, as an unvaccinated person who now is about to get measles and they say they have measles and you are infectious from about four days before you, you present with measles symptoms to four days after. So you've got about a week of your being infectious. Supposing they go to something like a breastfeeding group where the children are all below vaccination age and supposing there's 15 other kids there, mums and kids. Somebody with measles, a contact with measles, 
they will infect 90% of the people that they come in contact with who are unvaccinated. So if you put somebody into a creche where there are small children, for example, or into a breastfeeding group or into a maternity hospital, or you get that awful situation that arises where a measles infected person is put in a group where everybody's unvaccinated because of maybe youth. They're just They're 11 months of age. Yeah. We're in major trouble because you will see it spread like wildfire. And that's the difficulty. Not all viruses are the same, like in terms of their, their, their virulence, in terms of how contagious they are. Measles happens to be particularly it's contagious. Nasty. If you, if one of us was in, the, we're in a relatively small room here. If one of you had measles and you coughed in this room and we all went out, let's suppose the rest of us are vaccinated and we walked out of the room. For the next two hours, 90% of the people who come into this room who haven't, weren't even in here with you at the same time, but who breathe the same air that you've coughed into. If they're unvaccinated, they'll get measles too. Yeah. It's that yeah. level of, it's, yeah. of, of infectiousness. It's an aggressive disease. Mm. Is that why we talk more about measles as opposed to mumps and rubella? Yeah, pretty much. And the other thing uh, to add to what Gira said there, I work in cancer research. A lot of our patients, for different reasons, are immunocompromised. Um, whatever their immune system previously existed has been modulated or, or, or augmented otherwise by the medicines they're on. There are heartbreaking stories of particularly paediatric cancer patients uh, succumbing to this, this illness or complications and dying because someone was selfish enough to to expose, you know, an unvaccinated carrier to them. Mum, so, mumps and rubella, I just want, just want to answer that question. They're not quite as nasty a disease. We, we vaccinate largely against rubella. Not, rubella is a mild childhood illness. If, I, if, if your six-year-old gets rubella, they'll be fine. They'll be grand. They'll be grand. It's not a but bother. But it's a nice thing to have No, that's not why. Oh, okay. That's because if they give it to a pregnant non-immune woman, it is teratogenic. It damages a fetus. So if you are someone who is unvaccine immune coming in contact with rubella while you are pregnant, the chances are, and we used to see it back in the 70s and the 80s here, the chances are you have a very high risk of your baby being born blind or deaf or with other sorts of neurological conditions. So we vaccinate children against rubella to actually protect future generations of pregnancies and pregnant women. That's why that is. And mumps is a little bit different too. So there's different reasons why we vaccinate, but these are all vaccine preventable diseases. I'm older than the rest of you at this podcast. I've had German measles, which is rubella, and I've had measles. I've had them both. I, I'm, I was a kid pre-MMR. And I'm fine. But that's not, that's an anecdote. That doesn't mean that other people will be fine. Get vaccinated. But the point is, is back in those days, because things like German measles, rubella were really, really, really common. Women used to be petrified of coming in contact with kids with rashes or, or kids with mm. temperatures because if they were pregnant, they knew there was a significant chance that they were going to be born, have a child that was born with disabilities quite profound disabilities because of it. So so we have forgotten the lessons we once knew. And that's what I meant when I said that it was a victim, victim of its own success. success. Kira and mentioned the condition spreading like wildfire. And if we look at the international figures, we can see just how badly other countries, bar Ireland, have been affected. Um, the three highest jumps that we saw internationally last year were Ukraine, the Philippines and Brazil. If you look at the Ukraine in particular, there were over 35,000 cases last year. There were fewer than 5,000 the previous year. So that's an astronomical jump. And to date this year, there have been 24,000 cases so it looks like this year is just going to be off the charts. Is that conflict? Places. And obviously then people are moving around, not able to There is anti-vaccine sentiment. And then it has been impacted by the conflict with Russia. There's um, a shortage of vaccine supplies and medical cutbacks. So it's a multifaceted reason there. But definitely there is an anti-vaccine sentiment. Same issue has raised its head in the Philippines. There were over 15,000 cases last year, up from 2,400 the previous year. And there have been almost 13,000 cases so far this year, including 200 deaths. And in relation to that, there 
there was um, an anti-dengue vaccine that was introduced in the Philippines a couple of years ago that children did have a bad reaction to. Some children actually reportedly died from that particular vaccine. So that has nothing to do with measles. But because of this other vaccine, there's a huge anti-vaccine sentiment in the Philippines right now. And we're seeing thousands and thousands of cases and hundreds of deaths. God, it's really, when you hear some of the numbers... It spreads exponentially. It's a little bit like a spider web that that you're in the centre of it, but then it goes out like cogs and wheels and it literally mushrooms. uh, And that is the issue with it. Just with regard to... It's quite interesting you talk about places like the Philippines or Brazil or or Madagascar or places where there have been outbreaks that are quite impoverished. Some of those... Are, there is anti-va- anti-vaxxers are a global movement, but there there is also poverty and health services that can't cope with vaccination pro- programs in in poorer parts of the world. In those countries, they're crying out in some places for vaccines, and they can't get yes. them and they can't afford them. We're making a choice here, some of us, not to vaccinate, and that's a very different thing. And I would view that in a much more um, I would be much more cross about <laughs> things <laughs> like about that, that. and about not being able to vaccinate. Yeah. What's also interesting is let's take one of the uh, richest nations in the world, uh, the United States. Measles was virtually extinct in the United States until 2015. They're seeing spikes all over. New York has had its 20-year record on it. They are having a similar pattern of outbreaks all over the place. And the biggest reason is because for most of America, um, vaccination is mandatory. That's why they kept their rate so low. If uh, you make everyone get the vaccination, it doesn't spread. Um, And the occasional times they did get it was when someone came in from a foreign country who was unvaccinated and maybe affected someone who you know, was it immunocompromised, whatever else. But now they're seeing massive outbreaks. Disneyland closed in 2015 due to a measles outbreak. And the reason why is in parts of America, you can get a religious or political exemption from getting vaccinated. And this is what I meant to say, that it's a real middle class thing. So there are doctors in America who will write you saying something saying, oh, you know, and they are trying to crack. There is an, there is an organized attempt, especially in California, to crack down on this. But those communities are always the hub of these outbreaks. These parents There's a really deciding, good CSI program on that, by the way. Everybody <laughs> wants to look it up where now, these now watch parents CSI, okay. in New York uh, yeah. don't fas- vaccinate their kids but going into a private school. Uh, but it does explain absolutely. how it works. Uh, but it's, it's a major problem because they're not just impacting themselves. They're impacting their entire communities and, and beyond. And that particular Disneyland outbreak had spread to other parts of the US and even into Canada. Yeah. So it did lead to a big debate in relation to that personal exemption, yeah. even as opposed to the religious exemption there's a personal or philosophical exemption which could be pretty much anything so there are some states are looking at that now saying this just doesn't make yeah. any sense medically and we need to stop it's it. too libertarian to kind of go oh whatever you opt in or out i mean and and uh, there is a conversation to be had i'm not saying we just dictate to people necessi- necessarily but there is a conversation to, to make people at least aware of this and say that there are consequences for other people there are consequences for you know uh, pregnant women there are consequences for, for the sick the old the young so it's not just about you. Um, it's a weird one, though. It is hard to. Kira, would you like across. to see it? It is mandatory in some countries. It is. Would you like to see it mandated in Ireland? I would like us to see us have a debate on whether or not it should be mandatory. I am open to, uh, I, I suppose, the rule of democracy, which is, is I don't think necessarily that we should impose anything on the population without the population's agreement. But I think we should have an open and frank discussion about the merits or otherwise of uh, vaccinations. You can't put your dog in a kennels without them being vaccinated. And the reason is that they don't want you to introduce parvovirus or what have you to, to a load of dogs and then everybody's dogs get sick and potentially die. So we understand, you know, about contagion. We understand about infection rates. We understand about you know, public health initiatives for, for our pets. Our children are surely more important than our pets by a, by a multiple. And the thing is this, is I understand about people having personal freedoms and everything, but 
I don't think you can actually make people necessarily vaccinate their children, although I believe it to be absolutely the right thing to do. But what I think you can do is say, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but if you're going to be in public school, in state school, or if you're going to be in a public creche mm-hmm. where you could potentially infect other people's children, particularly in somewhere like a creche where a cohort of children will be below vaccination age, I think there is an argument that, that we should at least discuss whether or not vaccines should be mandatory in those settings. And then if you don't want to use those settings, if you want to homeschool or if you want to keep your children out of that mix, that's a choice that you're entitled to make if that's how you but feel. But it should be yeah. hand in hand. I think we should have a conversation about this as a country. And in the US and some states where it is mandatory for students to be vaccinated against a number of conditions, including measles, there is a rule that schools or daycares can say, OK, fine, if your child is not vaccinated for um, a religious or medical reason, OK, but they are barred from coming in here if there ever is an outbreak. And there have been some court cases where parents have sued schools saying, you know, you're infringing on our liberty. This is not fair. You can't say our child cannot attend the school. But in general, the courts have ruled on the side of the schools and said, no, this is for the, the greater good and your, your child, fine, you don't want to vaccinate them, but they cannot be in these public settings. They cannot be in schools. They cannot be in creches because you're harming or potentially harming other people. Australia is also known for taking a particularly tough stance on this. They fine parents who don't vaccinate their children and parents also risk losing thousands of dollars in social welfare payments if they don't vaccinate their children. Creches and schools also face large fines if they allow a child to enroll who hasn't been vaccinated. If we move closer to home in Germany and Italy, parents also face fines if they don't vaccinate their children. And there has been talk of introducing similar fines in Ireland, but to date, nothing like that has happened here. There was an interesting uh, case in Ohio in the US um, over the last while where an 18 year old his mother was an anti-vaxxer and didn't vaccinate him. And then he realized did his own research and kind of wanted to vaccinate himself and talked about his experience. But he he was very fair to his in mother. He she, he felt like she was vulnerable to the information that she was being given and she was doing it for, out of love and protection of him. So it, like you spoke about the parents you saw in your clinic, uh, Kira, is that how do you counter that? I know who you're talking about. What he actually said was anti-vaccine leaders and proponents of misinformation, which knowingly lied to the American people, are the real issue. Mm-hmm. Using the love and affection and care of a parent for their children to push an agenda and to create false distress is shameful. And it was a guy called Ethan Lindenberger and he, he did get himself vaccinated. His mum wasn't too happy. She actually felt that he made her look a bit silly, I think. But I think he went, I've looked into all of this. I want to be vaccinated and I'm old enough now to choose. But he didn't blame her. He blamed people who preyed on her fears that he would get sick if she vaccinated him or that he would be negatively infected in some ways. And that's the crux of the matter. There are people who have an agenda around vaccines and who have their own position and it is an ideology and it is honest to God like talking to the wall trying to talk to them. And that's why I said I I don't engage. But I do feel sorry for people who are vulnerable through the fear that we all have about something happening to our children. Like There is nobody you value more in the world, not yourself, not your partner, not anyone that you value more than your children. How do you counter people preying on that vulnerability? So there's been some research done on this. So what Kira is saying is absolutely true. So they, they looked in California and I think it was in 2015 on countering misinformation. And they found that if parents very strongly were of themselves an anti-vaccine position, uh, there's nothing you could do. They tried four different intervention strategies, all of which failed. So that's kind of depressing. But that's not everyone. And I think this is really important to, to, to make distinction between, and Kira's already kind of said it, but I, I think there are the hardcore anti-vaccine groups. And, and you might think that's a modern problem. It is to an extent, but we've had anti-vaccine sentiment since the time of Jenner. 
So uh, the first vaccines in the 1700s. Um, in the 2011, the New England Journal of Medicine said this is an age-old problem that we've been trying to combat for years. Now, there was a time when, when polio was a big issue and smallpox, and we saw the, the first time in human history you eradicated a virus through an immunization program. In 79, we declared smallpox. It only exists now in high-level biotech labs that, you know, you need lots of suits and cool stuff to go into, right? Um, and also a degree in biochemistry, I imagine. <laughs> they wouldn't let me in. I've tried. Uh, but here's the thing. Again, victims of our own success. But the set of populations, when, when Andrew Wakefield did his now debunked MMR study, the parents not vaccinated their kids, parts of London, the vaccination dropped to 62%. Those parents weren't dyed in the wool anti-vaxxers. They were scared. They didn't realize the, the, the realities of what they were doing. We saw it over here recently with the HPV vaccine. We had an anti-vaccine movement who, if you'd scratch the surface of, of, of the concerned parents' surface, you would find people that have been doing this for years. When you dug into that, it scared people. So they went, we went from 87% coverage to uh, 50% in the guts of a year, right? We started to recover that. And the reason we started to recover that is because we have not just put the scientific evidence out there, which people can dismiss or not parse. We framed that around people's narratives, particularly people like uh, Laura Brennan, who's the face of the, yeah, the campaign. She's, oh, she's incredible. Like we, we're very lucky to know her, Kira and myself. But, she's amazing. Yeah, She's probably going to listen to this, so let's not give her too many compliments, <laughs> right? But the whole idea of that, it's not because she's just giving an emotive story to counter that. It's a emotive story um, in a congruence with scientific information to show you actually this is the reality. It's not just a choice between phantom side effects and, and maybe don't not taking any risks. There's a real risk if you don't do it. Yeah. And we have to get that message across. I, I do everything. think when you talk to people, as I say, who who separating out the actual kind of lobbyists among anti-vaccination people, but the people who are actually just concerned parents who are afraid, I think you have to talk to them very differently. Uh, and I, I, when I was a GP, people would come in all the time and say, should I get a vaccination? And a couple of things. First of all, the good thing still for a lot of uh, Irish doctors is, is that our patients still largely tend to trust us. And, and that's that's just the, the truth. Perhaps that's not as much as it once was or whatever, but but certainly in, in the main people trust you. So they, they, they trust that you're going to give them good information and you would give them the good information. And one of the things I always found really effective was talking to them about my own kids. And I would say, my daughter, my daughter got, got HPV. My kids have all got the MMR. You know, I wouldn't do that. I, I, and I wouldn't. If there was a question over, over the, the, the safety of <laughs> vaccines, I wouldn't put them into my children. But as somebody who doesn't get all their information from Facebook and actually knows a little bit about this, you know, I, of course, looked into it too. And it is safe and it is the best thing to reduce the risk of them getting harmful diseases. And so... That was quite persuasive because people understand that as a mother that I wasn't going to do something mm. that would harm my own children. Yeah. And so they'd kind of go, all right, well, the doctor says, and I do kind of trust her. And so I think you have to talk to people on a very human level about your own family, maybe, or about, you know, how much you are invested in their well-being. I would want the best for any patient who was in my care. And to make and it real, like you were saying, them. a lot of yep. people can't see it anymore because we don't see measles, we don't see And they see are afraid problems. and they do see things on, on parenting groups. They see it on boards.ie, they see it yeah. on, on Facebook. Anti-vaxxers target parenting groups in a massive way. Do. And I've had friends who now are young parents, I'm, I'm getting to that age where I have friends. And level-headed, sober people 
well, sometimes sober, uh, but they'll they'll come up to you and they'll go, Dave, I, I actually need to talk to you about, I know you do some stuff on this. And Kira's absolutely right. It has to be a human conversation. You don't patronise them and go, that's all nonsense. Or you mentioned being online a bit for your research uh, for this podcast. What kind of things were you seeing on there? I think there's a mix of both. I know ahead of today, I looked at some parents' groups online and a lot of the parents who have concerns might start their post by saying, please don't jump down my throat. But I've heard that the MMR vaccine causes autism. Even if there's a tiny, tiny risk I'm scared about vaccinating my child. Can parents who've had the vaccine or not had the vaccine for their child please explain to me, you know, what's happened or, or give me their experiences? Sometimes they're right. They do get someone jumping down their throat straight away. Someone comes in with all caps, vaccinate your child, you're a terrible parent. That doesn't help anybody. Though other people are more measured, they might come in and say, look, I have vaccinated my child. I understand your risks, but please read these links that prove that this study has been completely disproven. And um, one parent uh, recently, I was reading a thread, she was asking for basically that very same question. And she said, you know, I'm, I'm quite worried. Can you give me some advice some feedback? And another mother came in and said, I have three kids. I vaccinated all of them. My daughter happens to have autism. She did not get it from the vaccine. My other two children are perfectly healthy and were vaccinated. And if I had to do it again in the morning, I would vaccinate them all. I understand your concerns, but please, you know, this is not real. So don't worry about it and please vaccinate your child. So I think that more measured approach is definitely a better way to approach it rather than saying, you know, you're a terrible parent, you're selfish, you're this, that or the other. When parents just, they hear this and they think, God, is that true? And they do actually have genuine concerns. Just one final question, um, because I think we did did this earlier in the office and I'd say people listening might be checking their arms for the pockmax of the MMR. What do people do if they're not sure that they're, that they were vaccinated when they were younger or if they know they weren't. Is there anything they can do now? You can still be vaccinated. Yeah, absolutely. You can be vaccinated as an adult. And if you are an adult who hasn't been vaccinated, you are you are non-immune and you are therefore, if you come in contact with measles, you are very likely to get it because it is that contagious. So adults can get this too. Um, You can usually find out if you've been vaccinated either through your childhood GP. Some people's parents will will know, but not always, to be honest. Mm. Um, Or indeed, there are records kept. There are public health records kept as well. And in some health boards or the the equivalent of, of the HSE office, that was once a health board, you may be able to find out. But when in doubt, you can just get a booster anyway. I mean, a lot of times in, in colleges now, when we've seen the outbreaks of mumps that we've seen in the recent times, they've been vaccinating with the MMR uh, college students, third level students, whether they've been vaccinated or not. They've just been vaccinating as a booster people to boost. Yeah, the HSC the- did say that was a number of cases were related to that. Adults who didn't know if they were vaccinated or assumed they were and they weren't. Either their parent meant to and forgot or yep, chose not to and that. then they didn't have their records. Yeah. And then some adults also knew they weren't vaccinated, but say, I've got to 40 or 50, I'm probably not going to get measles. Do I really re- need it now? And yes, yes you do. <laughs> uh, and and, and the truth yes. is, as you get older, these illnesses are in some ways even worse. Mm-hmm. Like, if you were an elderly person to get something, you would be very, very unwell indeed. Um, so I think it's very important that if you're in doubt, and there are outbreaks in your area that you go and maybe have a conversation because boosters are available and it, it you can get vaccinated. It isn't age limited. You can get vaccinated at any age. Great. I think we've covered everything there. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, David, Kira, and Orla. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for listening. I'm Sinead O'Carroll and this was The Explainer. Thanks also to our executive producer, Christine Bowen, series producer, Aoife Barry. Nikki Ryan is our assistant producer and tech op. Thanks to our contributors today, Orla Ryan, Dr. Kira Kelly and Dr. David Robert Grimes. We'll be back next week with another news story to dive into.